we are here on Sunday between Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And so this would be a really good time for us to reflect on those words from the great theologian and philosopher George Carlin, who said this, trying to be happy by accumulating possessions is like trying to satisfy hunger by taping sandwiches all over your body. He was one of the most focused people I'd ever seen, yet he seemed so content. He was seemingly always on assignment, yet seemed to just walk in peace. When Mark Buntain would cross a room full of people, you would see his mouth moving, and he'd been talking, but he seemed to be talking to someone who was not in the room. And it didn't take long for you to notice that Mark Buntain was in a constant state of prayer. Wherever he was, he was talking, and he was communicating with Jesus. He had given his life totally to serve the poor in Calcutta. He had worked hard for years. He loved them in Jesus' name while teaching them about Jesus' name. And he loved doing it. And although he had very little, if you spent time with Mark Buntain, you knew that he was extremely rich. Within that place where God abides, that place that we have called the Holy Wild, that place where we begin to encounter the very massiveness and the uncontrollableness of, of our Creator. In that place, to be rich is defined this way. To be rich is to master the place or position the Lord has assigned to us. And Mark Buntain had done that. Pam and I have been married for over 37 years. And in those 37 years, I have learned a lot. I have learned how to correctly make a bed. Because obviously, I didn't know how to before. In fact, in college, I never did. I just slept on the mattress pad. Because I was going to get back into it that night. Why bother? So she's taught me how to make the bed and how to, to put the sheets in correctly and how to have the blankets there and the fact that a bed is not made until you have half the bed covered with pillows <laughs> that you cannot lay on. They're just there to be pretty. And men just love pretty. <laughs> I've also learned that when you go on vacation or leave town for whatever reason, then the house has to be completely spotless. And when you leave, the last thing you do is you vacuum, and then you leave streaks in the carpet because it shows that you have vacuumed. So that when someone breaks into your house and steals all your stuff, they know that you are clean people. And that is important. I have learned that when you park a car, that you must drive around the parking lot for 30 minutes to find the closest one instead of parking and being back out in 10. For some reason, that's important. 
I have learned a lot. I have learned that when a man and a woman have an argument, that if the man has the last word, that is the beginning of the next argument. <laughs> really what I've learned is this, that I have been negligent in recognizing the value of the love that she floods on me continuously. I'm amazed at her refusal to run away when she is faced with my obvious and extreme faults. It's taken this long for me to begin to master this place that God has so graciously given me, this place of this marriage and this love that, that I see as an extension of his holy wild. I have now come to the place, and this is why I'm thinking and beginning to master this. I become now, I've come down to the place that I begin to realize that the things in my life, the things that I enjoy in the past that included Pam, I now realize that because I have Pam, I enjoy the things that I have in life. That is living within this holy wild that God has granted. And to do anything other than that is to live what we call the borderland. It's, it's having a taste or just beginning to understand, but never fully encompassing or being encompassed by this expression of grace that God has given. And if Ephesians 5 is correct, that marriage is a visual aid telling us how God wants to have intimacy with us, then we must be able to ask the question, have I come to this place in my life that I enjoy things in life and include God, or do I have God and therefore I enjoy the things that I have in life? To do the latter is actually to enjoy his holy wild. It is, it is to, to enjoy being absorbed by him and absorbing the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the beauty and the love and the, and the excess that he has because God is so excess. He says, I'm giving you more than enough. Are you, are you soaking it in? Are you seeing it? Are you enjoying it? In fact, Paul said, it's beyond anything that you could ever ask, think, or imagine is what he has according to the power that works within you, according to how deep you've entered into this holy wild. Not to do that is to lead us, leave us in the borderland, in this place that we would call poverty. How do we escape that borderland? How do we escape that poverty? We, we have to live as Jesus described. He told this story of this master who had a steward, a manager, and he gave the manager, the steward, everything that, that he owned. He said, now you take good care of this only to find out that the, the steward was a thief. And so he calls, the, calls for the, the steward to come in, and the steward knows that he's now caught, and therefore he knows that soon he will have nothing at all. And so in an effort to rescue his own life, he calls in all the debtors. And the story tells us about two of the debtors. He, he brought in, he said, what, what, what must my master, or what do you owe my master? And he, he told him how much. He said, well, cut the bill in half. Just, just pay me half. And to another, he said, well, what, 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 is, what is it you owe? And, and he told him, he said, well, just, just, give it, just take 20% off the top. You, you don't have to pay it back. Because he said, if I do that, that when I am poor, these guys will take care of me. Understanding that more than likely because he was so crooked is that he had grossly overcharged in the first place. 
And now, only now, was he actually giving the true uninflated price, and the master still would get what was owed him. He would just lose what his inflated profit would be. And then Jesus then concludes that story with these words. Luke 16 says this, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And isn't it interesting that Jesus is talking about money? And you say, well, why was he doing that? Well, understand that Jesus talked about money and the use of it a lot. In fact, nearly two-thirds of Jesus' stories deals with stewardship and the use of money. One out of every six verses in Matthew, Mark, and Luke has to do with money and fiscal responsibility. Jesus does not tell us to, to stay away from property or to stay away from money, but what he does say is this. He says, see this really wicked man? I commend him because he used his possessions to ensure what his future would be, and are you doing the same? So we have to ask ourselves this question, where do we want to live? Do we want to live in the holy wild where there's this massiveness, uncontrolled God who is just willing to pour out an incredible generosity? Or do we want to live in the borderland? Well, the borderland is where we just barely taste and touch who he is, but yet we always want more and more because, because we never moved close enough to be able to receive from him. Living in the borderlands is tasting God's goodness yet obsessing over life as advertised by our culture. In reality, it's this. It's loving stuff and using people. And that's what our culture does. We saw that this week. Instead of allowing families to spend time together, uninterrupted, and we've watched this progress in the last decade, it used to be that... that that Black Friday started about 6 in the morning, then it got moved up to 5, and it got up to 4, and some of you have been most people that stood outside of Best Buy for hours. And then it got moved to, to midnight, and this year it got moved to 5 o'clock because we've got to have the stuff. We'll never have that sale. We've got to, and, and so the commercialism continues to increase because we've got to have those things, and they are never enough. Within the holy wild, here's what Jesus says, is the atmosphere. Matthew 6, verse 19, and you'll find these on your notes if you don't have them in your Bible at the moment. Matthew 6, 19, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there the desires or there your heart will be also. Jesus makes it very clear, loving stuff and using people is not a wise choice. It is a short-term thinking process. It does not please the master. It is not a great strategy. And the question is this, do you want your heart where you love stuff and you use people? Because that is not where you find God. 
We find God in this place. John recorded these words, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. Don't love stuff and use people because the strategy in the holy wild is to use God's stuff to love people. That's why we have it. For God so loved, He gave, so that they could have life. We've said from the beginning of this series now, this is the fifth time we've talked about this, that what God's designed for us is simply this, that we have enough to enjoy life wherever He has placed us, wherever we are mastering that place of position. He said, I'm going to give you enough so that you can enjoy life the way that I want you to enjoy it. In addition to that, I want you to have enough that you can promote my kingdom. And thirdly, I want you to have enough so that whatever you have, you can give out generously to others who are in need so that by your giving to them in this great expression of love out of whatever you have, they will then be encouraged to find their place, master their position in God, find who God is by what you have given. So my question for us today is that we've walked through these last five weeks and some of you have been sitting there weighing all of this. And there are moments that I'll hear someone speak and it'll, it'll strike me so deep that I want to ignore them. I'll say, okay, I will deal with this later. But the, the problem is that once we've heard the truth, there is a corresponding action always that we are now responsible for. And so I have tricked you. You are now responsible. So the question is, after you've heard all of these things, what are you going to do? What is your long-term strategy? Do I hoard this for myself or do I give it out to give others life? Because Jesus said the question is this, when we leave this earth, how many people will welcome us grateful for how we brought them to life? Because our reward is based on that answer. And the truth of the matter is, and Jesus makes it clear that He is judging us right now according to what we have. What are we doing with what we have right now? I have been tempted at times to say, you know, I'd be more generous if I just had a better wage. I'd be more generous if I had less bills. I'd be more generous if, 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 if. And there are times that Jesus says, no, no, I just want you to give out of what you've got right now. But I only have a little. That's it. Because if I can trust you with little, I can trust you with more. And maybe you don't have more because you've not been very faithful for the little that I've given you. God tests us by observing the little things. He's always been about the little things because he's, he's the one who said, I checked the hairs on your head. And for some of us, that's a whole lot easier. I, I watched the little sparrows. I check out the flowers that are in the field behind your house, and I make sure they are clothed even greater than Solomon was clothed in all his glory. I look at the little things. So with the little talent that you have, with the little money that you have, with the little time that you have, what are you doing with that right now? Because I am judging you now. I'm looking at what you're doing now because if you are good with the time I've given you now by generously sharing it with others, then I can give you more time. I can give you more dollars. I can give you more talent if you'll just use what I've given you now. If God can trust us with little, He can trust us with much. 
And here's what I'm finding. The more that God trusts us, the more we enjoy life, the greater our joy. Jesus tells this story about three stewards, three, three guys who were called before, before the owner, before the master, and the master said to them, I'm leaving town for a while, and here's my stuff, and I want you to go invest it where it will get its greatest return, so go do that. When he returns, he calls them back, and the first one comes back, and he said, how would you do? He said, oh, look, I, I invested this, and I got this much back. He said, that is so wonderful. Another one came back, and he said, yeah, I invested too, and I've got this much. And so the master says, not only will you get what you've just invested, but I'm going to give you more because I can trust you. The third guy came in and said, I just know that it would be a terrible thing if I lost the stuff you had, so I hoarded it and just kept it to myself, and I did nothing with it. And he said, oh, you're a wicked man, and he took it from him. And to those who he said, you have been faithful in investing wisely in what you have, what I've given you, the master says this, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So we know in, the, in God's kingdom that when he says, I want you to invest it, investing it is investing it in other people. It is investing in other people's lives. It's investing in them so that they can find and discover God. It's investing so that they can have food to eat and clothing to wear. I mean, Jesus made it very clear. He said, when you give a cup of water to someone who's thirsty, you've given it to me. You have, when you go visit in prison, you've done it for me. When you've gone to the hospital and sit with someone, you've done it for me. When, when they've been naked, you've been clothed them, you've done it for me. Yesterday, Pam and I with some friends, and I'll introduce those friends to you in just a moment. We were, we were out driving around showing them the city, and we went by the, the Russian Orthodox Church, and these folks are from Russia, and so we, we showed them the church, and we're coming through an alley, and this lady flags us down, and she's dressed like she's Russian, so we thought, great, these guys can talk to her, but she really wasn't Russian. She was a lady that needed help, and she, and she needed money, and, and my mind is racing because this is the season for people to be ripping off, off other people, and, and, and I'm, I'm processing through that, and so we finally pulled into an ATM, and we gave her money and got her to a warm place, and in my mind, I'm thinking, just did I mess up? Did I just should I should I checked further? And as I'm driving away, I said, Jesus, I'm not sure I did the right thing, but I did this for you. And I'm okay with that. So I said to these guys, because you invested wisely, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite you into my into your master's happiness, which means you're going to come into the party. We're going to celebrate. You get to come into my party. You get to enjoy my excesses, because he's an excessive master. And I'm going to let you discover my laughter and my joy. Now, that is the story. But think about it. Is your master Jesus? And if Jesus says that to you, come enjoy my happiness, what does that mean? The excesses that Jesus enjoys and the joy that Jesus has. He says, as you, as you give to others, as you, as you give unselfishly, given it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. He said, I'm going to invite you in so that you can enjoy more than you ever thought that you could have, ever. I'm going to give that to you as you enjoy what I enjoy. You say, you mean if, if I give this, then I'm going to get a new Land Rover? No, no, you're going to, I don't know, maybe, but you're going to get what Jesus enjoys. And maybe he enjoys Toyotas, a Prius, I don't know. But whatever he gives you, you're going to experience his joy and go, wow, because that's what you're created to do. You were created to be with him and to, and to feel his joy in being with us and to, to pour out into our lives. If we could walk back to the garden in the very beginning, we'd have been in awe of what he created for us to enjoy. He said, I want to bring that back to you. I want to give that to you. 
conversely, to the one who he said, take it away from him because he did nothing with what I gave him. His is, this is his destiny. It says, then he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. And to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. Can I just stop here? Folks, this is, this is Jesus saying this is going to happen. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He said the stuff that this guy had disappeared from his hands, and he ends up in a very miserable place. That is the borderland. That is poverty. And so Jesus reminds us that it all comes down to worship. He said, you cannot worship God and mammon at the same time. And, and mammon, as we've discovered in these last weeks, mammon is the name of, of a Syrian idol. It is a demonic power whose, whose desire is to set itself up as equal with God. Worshiping mammon means listening to the voice of poverty. And we have a quote on your notes, and we've described what poverty is. We use the words of Chuck Pierce, and here's what it is. Poverty is not just experiencing lack, but fearing that we will lack. It occurs when we conform our circumstances to the blueprint given us by the world, and we never see who God really made us to be. Poverty occurs when the God of this world surrounds and influences us with the world's perspective, causing us to forget God's ability in the midst of our circumstances. Poverty is the voice that says what? God is not able. So if God is not able, I've got to take this under my control. I've, I've got to, and so what I do, I begin to hoard because I don't know what the future is going to be. I begin to covet. Why do they have it? I want what they've got. You know that, that, that thing that we do in here once in a while, and, and, and sometimes you hear Gary yell it. In fact, if Gary yells it, you hear it. Do it again! That's, yeah, that one. <laughs> Where somebody will give a report and, and it will say, do it again, Lord. I used to think, yeah, Lord, do it again and do that for me. But in the reality, the history of that wording was this, that if you came to me and you said, God just gave me a blessing, God, I didn't have a car, and God just gave me a car. And when I say, do it again, Lord, I used to think, oh, do it for the rest of us too. And if Mark Furman shows up and says, God just gave us a trip to Hawaii, I say, do it again, Lord, and I want to go with them. <laughs> they need a chaplain there. i am go with them. The wording actually means this. Lord, you bless them. Bless them some more. Do some more for them. Has nothing to do with my covetousness or my jealousy that they got that thing. It's, Lord, keep doing that for them. So we hoard and we covet. But worshiping God means recognizing it's all His and investing it. And we talked about that. We've really talked about it. And I told you the first step really is this thing called the tenth part. It started long before the law began. It was an expression of worship of the, of the, the early followers of Jehovah God. They would take a tenth of their income and they would bring it to the one they worshipped. It was a declaration that I trust you with my goods. Here, this belongs to you. In fact, later, later God would say, you know, that belongs to me. And if you use it for yourself, you're stealing from me. And would you really want to rip me off? Because 
there are, the, there are these, these spiritual forces in the pagan worlds. We talked about this too, that, that would, when, when a pagan city was built, the gates were the center of commerce and, and politics. And so there in that marketplace by the gate, they would begin to, to give sacrifices and worship their pagan gods so that those pagan gods would protect their, their income and their commerce and their families and their political structure. And so these demonic forces would then take over the gates. And when the children of Israel walked back into the promised land, when they went into the promised land, they began to declare, lift up your heads, O ye gates, for the king of glory comes through. And those gates were dedicated to the Lord. Lord, you now have our economy. Now you have our politics. Now you have all. We give it to you. We worship you. We give this to you. And the tithe, this, this, this tenth, was our way of declaring, Lord, in my life, I give you the gates here. The 90% that's left over, you'll make it work because you are an awesome, generous God. It's the first step of worshiping and saying, here, I'm investing it where you want it. And we, we, we learned about this last week. The investment goes to the storehouse. And the storehouse, as you study in the Old, in the Old Testament, was the center of, of community, of covenant community and worship. In the New Testament, that same thing was the church, the center of, of covenant community. And covenant means this. I give that tenth to you so that you can be taken care of because I care for you. I worship with you. And when I give freely, when I take my 10th part, as Pam and I do, it takes care of those kids who have just walked into Inside Out. It takes care of giving heat and, and trained workers to take care of those kids in the nursery. It is, it is what puts together teams that go into the prison and, and people that will be interceding for your husband as he's having surgery. And God says, I want, you, I want you to invest that where it belongs. And then, then I'm going to ask you for offerings. And offerings go outside of that tithe because the tithe goes to the community of faith where you are. And the offerings then go somewhere else wherever God's telling you to take those. Worship is recognizing it's all his and investing it. And when we do that, we use our possessions with our future in view. Because Jesus left, left, left us a clue. He said this, why would I give you possessions of your own if you aren't trustworthy with that which is not yours? So flip that around. He's saying this, but if you are, if you are trustworthy with the possessions I gave you to, to give away, then I will give you your own possessions. I will bless you in that manner. And what could this massive God give to us? So Jesus made it pretty clear. He expected us when he gave us whatever it was he gave us that we were to share that. So he says to the disciples as he sends them out, tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. He said, dude, all the stuff I've given you, share it, share it, share it, share it. You've been with me. Give that out. For he says, you have been treated generously, so live generously. Freely you have received. Freely what? Give. He said, but you don't know. I'm just, everything's tight. I know that. But that's where your faith in God comes, that he will take care of you. And I'd much rather have God working my portfolio than me working it. Because God can make things out of nothing. So this morning, I want you to meet some friends who I think live this out. And so I'm going to invite Daryl and Sarah to come join me up here. And would you please welcome Daryl and Sarah Jump?
Everybody say hi, Daryl and Sarah. <laughs> say we love you. Pam and I met these guys up in Alaska. Uh, our son, who had gone up there to work for several summers, when they first went up there, and many of you might remember Matt Baker, who was part of this church, Matt and, and Dustin went up, uh, as they would be prone to do, to work up there without any place to stay. So they got up there, and Matt called Daryl and said, we were told maybe you guys could help us find a place. And so these folks were just nice enough to take them and how many more? Three the first year and five the next, yeah. Brought them into their house and decided, we'll just care for these guys. So they spent the summer. And said, so one, the, the, the summer when you had five, we ended up showing up at your place. And I, I'm not kidding you. There were sleeping bags everywhere. There's people's stuff everywhere. And these folks gave their house, fed these guys, let them use their car, and whatever they needed, they gave. And immediately, I realized that these are just wonderful people who understand what's been given to you, give to others. So from that point, and, and, and Daryl was, and Sarah were working, she was a nurse, and he was working in a church setting there as a, as a pastor on staff. You guys ended up from there in a, in a place called Kyrgyzstan, and you spent four years there. And now you are going in May to Istanbul. So tell us for just a few moments what it is that you've been doing there or going to do and, and why you're doing it. So for the last four years, we've been in Kyrgyzstan, which is this little yellow country on the far right. China is just off the map past us there. Uh, and then Istanbul's brown country uh, city in Turkey on the far left there. Uh, for the last four years, we've been um, working to plant churches among Muslim peoples in Central Asia, so in, in Kyrgyzstan. And also there are already existing small churches in that area, and so we've been working to uh, help God's people who are already in those places grow and become what God wants them to be in that place. So is that an easy thing to do? Uh, not always. So did you speak Russian before you went? No, so we studied language while we were there. And so how long did it take you to become conversational? Uh, Russian has kind of a, a steep learning curve, and so probably 1,500 hours of effort before we could carry on sort of basic conversations and talk about our lives or our faith a little bit, and overall closer to 3,500 hours. So, so tell us about the living conditions that most people that you were with, how they live, and what kind of conditions you were living in. Uh, we moved our last year to a village because we decided with our team, we want to see what it would take to plant a church uh, on the Chinese border up in the mountains. And out there, as well as most of the countryside, people lived in uh, mud huts. I'm not even kidding you. You'd think we were in Africa. But they're made out of mud and straw and uh, whitewashed, as was our house. And so uh, every single day, as people walked up and down my stairs, you'd have the mud falling down the, uh, the walls. They'd crumble. And then we had deep cracks along the walls. And so you just sweep them into the cracks. It's really useful. Except that then the wind would come up through it because we have winters like you do here in Erie, PA. 
And I'm sorry, I always say Erie PA because of that movie, that thing you do. And uh, <laughs> anyway, and so our kitchen and our bathroom were 43 degrees inside. And so you get to the point of feeling, and they do too, almost you feel a little bit panicky when it gets that cold. And then our water or our electricity would uh, go out about once a week for a full day. And uh, you actually spent as little time as possible showering uh, because the water is so dirty. But when we moved to the village, one of the things that we demanded was an indoor bathroom because it's such an unusual thing. So think of the really cold winters here and having to trot out to your little outhouse in the middle of the night. And we told them we were very weak Westerners and we desperately needed indoor plumbing. And so that was something that... So you got that? We got that. Oh, see, God's good, isn't he? He is. He is. Uh, But I think one of the the most difficult things for us, too, was we were always at risk of being kicked out of the country uh, because it happens frequently in Central Asia. So you're always looking at the stuff you have around you saying, what don't I need? What can I pack in a suitcase that I I can take with me in a split second? Because that's what so many have to do. So you guys moved there, and so I'm going to get real personal with you now because this has really been a personal series. We're dealing with stuff we have. and So we've been spending some time with you, and we know that you're incredibly frugal, and you're very careful. And I just I don't want to embarrass you, but um, you even when you said you wanted to do some shopping, uh, Pam took you to Salvation Army. My favorite place. <laughs> To get there, uh, what did that leave as far as possessions for you now? What do you have? To get to a place of life in Central Asia, uh, when we packed up all of our things in April, um, we had, I don't know, Daryl says about a cubic, a cubic yard of stuff, literally, with a few suitcases. Um, it's such an back corner of the world, I mean, how many knew Kyrgyzstan before we got up here on the stage, (laughs) that shipping and moving stuff out of that country and into the country, and it's also a very corrupt part of the world so that you can't move large amounts of stuff around. Uh, We had to sell everything we had when we went. We have our uh, wedding silverware, and that's all we've been married for almost 13 years. And... uh, we just are constantly downsizing. And because it's a third world country too, all your stuff gets ruined. Really it does because of the dirt and the coal smoke and the places that we choose to go to be with the people. And so nothing is of great value that we hold on to. So yeah, when we came home, we came home with uh, three suitcases uh, each. And uh, that is pretty much the totality of what we own. Like you could stick it all in our Honda and move on. And so you came back, and you're, you have a, a place that you, you right now are, are parked and moving out of, but that itself is someone who said, come live at our, our place. Mm-hmm. And so you're staying at a house that's been given to you. Does it, how do you deal with not having stuff? Does that bother you? And if it doesn't, how did you get to the place that it didn't? I think sometimes it's... We would rather have more stuff, more more me than Sarah. Sarah's Sarah's much better at being simple and and not feeling poor, not struggling with that feeling. Um, 
But I mean, we really do have a lot. It doesn't sound like a lot, but we have books and we have clothes and we have technology and that doesn't take up very much cubic space, really. <laughs> so uh, I, feel, I think we feel like we have enough. So how did you come to the place that, and I think this is the question that, that I even have to, to deal with and ask myself, how do you get to the place that you are willing to let go of anything that God asks you to let go of or give it away for you guys? In fact, you've gone to Istanbul, and you might want to talk a little bit about that, and, and the, the theme there that you're dealing with is live dead. So how do you get to the place that you can, you can live dead to your your even the willingness to die, because you're in a place where you could die. Mm -hmm. How can you come to that place from where we are, which is making sure that we get to Best Buy before someone steals that TV from us, to being willing to just let it all go? How do you get to that spot? I think for us, part of that was recognizing that uh, everything that we have is already a gift from God to us, and everything that we have we need to hold lightly because it's easy to lose things as well. Uh, it's better to, to give some of those things away or to willingly let go of them than to have them torn out of your cold, dead fingers. <laughs> we um, Live Dead is this initiative that we're working with which basically uh, emphasizes the need to live sacrificially to work in the kinds of places that we and many of our colleagues work. and. For a long time in my life, it's been that, that idea, like Paul says, I die daily. And Christ says, take up your cross and follow me. And this is a, a theme that we continue to live, but we live dead to ourselves. We live dead to our uh, desires to accumulate or our desires for our own glory or our own self-satisfaction. Uh, this has been a theme in, in our lives for a long time. I think the one of the driving forces that has impacted our lives these last four years is that everywhere we go in Kyrgyzstan, even in Turkey, we are surrounded by people that have never once heard, uh, even had a chance to hear about Jesus. And they're very hostile to us. I think that's one of the things we give up to, feeling like we're in a safe place, in a place where we're accepted just for being us. And so the hostility is such that it has sent us these last four years to our knees to say, God, allow us to just love these people. You're supposed to love them <laughs> as missionaries. And in that place in prayer, he has given us a vision for the unreached, for the completely lost, uh, and the need to do everything we can that they at least have one chance to hear the gospel. Istanbul is a city of 17 million people, so more people than in all of Pennsylvania. And you could fit all of the Christian Turkish people who live in Istanbul in that city of 17 million, uh, I think probably in your sanctuary. And so for the average person in that part of the world, from that corner in Istanbul all the way out to the western border of China, all the way down to Pakistan, all the way up to Russia, uh, the average person has little to no chance to ever hear the gospel. And so for us, that's a big, a big driving force of why we do these things. Uh, we loved our life in Alaska. Um, we had a, had a great life, made a lot more money. Um, 
it's prettier there. But, but we were willing to, to let those things go. And we really, we really find within what, within what we're doing and, and where we're doing this, this incredible need, uh, and it's worth it. So you say, it's, so what's the reward? Because Jesus talks about the fact that, that we can be motivated by rewards that he gives us. What, what's the reward for you guys in, in the immediate and the, the, the far away? Well, I think one major long-term reward for us is becoming more and more like our Heavenly Father. So God, when he looks at the world and he sees all the darkness and all the sin and all the brokenness and all the evil, and, and you can let your mind wander and you still can't imagine what God sees. Uh, when he looked at our world, he didn't say, I'm so glad I don't live in that neighborhood. You know, God said, I have to do something, and he sent his son. Uh, and by going, we also get to sort of participate in that same kind of thing. When we look at Turkey or we look at, uh, you know, Iran or Afghanistan, we don't say to ourselves naturally, man, I really would love to live there. We say to ourselves, wow, that is hard. I'm glad I live in Alaska in the United States. Uh, but, but that's God's heart. And, and what we do every day, we get to be a, a part of God's heart. And longer term kinds of rewards is you see people coming to Christ and you see communities like this begin to be established and people begin to grow and people begin to, to become who God has designed them to be uh, is incredibly rewarding. I think that's a secret that God lets us in on once we've stepped into that place of sacrifice. It's hard to describe the reward it is to see the heart of God for the lost until you're in the midst of such deep, deep lostness and you see God loves these people. I may struggle to love them, but God wants to see them in his kingdom and wants to see communities of faith established across regions we can't even imagine touched by the gospel. And it's like getting a glimpse of heaven to say God can do this. And it really is a glimpse of something glorious that we couldn't see in Alaska, but now being on the front lines, we can see his heart in a way we could never see working good jobs back home. One of the things that you guys are doing and will be doing is you're on a recruiting mission mm -hmm. to find people who are willing to live dead. And you said that, that you want to find people who are willing to come over. And what was the phrase you used about come for a year? Or what, what, explain that. Yeah, we have a, a challenge um, within the Assemblies of God that people use, which is to give a year and pray about a lifetime. And so it's this opportunity to come and, and be a part of what's happening in missions and to serve and to, to grow and to learn how to do that and pray whether God would call you to go longer term. So my encouragement to us as we sit here today, and you say, well, I'm, I'm too old to even consider that. Well, just remember we have friends in Nicaragua that left a job early to go over and serve there uh, before they were even early retirement and took off. Begin to ask God what he wants for you and where he wants you to be. And some of you may begin to discover that, that you need to go and spend a year there. And, but you've got to be ready. You've got to be ready to say that, that I'll give it all away. I don't need it and see what reward that God gives you. So thanks, you guys, for sharing. I'm going to let you go on back down. Thank you for being here.
So it brings us to this place, what do we do with all of this? It, it would be easy to just say, oh, that's really great, and that's, that's kind of religious, and now I'm going to go buy my, my Christmas list and just keep going. But if we're followers of Jesus, he's taking us somewhere. And for a lot of us, we've got to start wrestling with this to say, okay, how do, how do I keep giving away so that I can bring life to people? I may not go to, to Istanbul or Kyrgyzstan, but it, it may be something else he's telling me to do or just to be able to give to others who are in need. So my question is, are you planning for your future? What are you doing? How are you investing so that, that God says, this is what I want you to do and I'll reward you for this? And, and so my encouragement to this, this, this morning is, first of, all, if you're, first of all, if you're not taking your, your tenth part and you're not giving it to God and, and, and blessing the community of faith, then that's a place for you to start. And you say, but can, does it work? I could have people stand here this morning and tell you how when they began to give the tenth part and say, God, this is yours and, and you take care of the nine-tenths that left, how God has given them more than they needed. It happens. And some of you are doing that, but God's saying to you now, you, you need to give to, to this person or to this thing. And you say, but then if I do that, I won't have enough. Well, sometimes sacrifice is necessary. And some of you, as you're doing that, God's going to say to you, no, that's good, but now I, I want you. I want all, everything about you. I want you to give me you and trust me that I'll put you at the right place. I know there have been times when I'm trying to determine where I need to go. Sometimes I'll say, if I'm, if I'm seeking, I knew I need to go someplace and do something new, I'll say, God, I'm not even sure what I should do. You know better than me. Get me there. And he does. And so as followers of Jesus, Jesus then says to us, freely you have received. Freely give. And following that, he says, now enter into my happiness. And so we end this morning with asking you to, first of all, be willing to say, here's, here's my life or the best way I can give it to you now and start dealing with me and shape me the way you want me to and help me to become the generous person I need to be. And we also end this morning with a tangible way in giving it an offering. And so if you've come with your tithes, then give your tithes. If you've brought some offerings, give your offerings. In addition to that, I want us to bless Daryl and Sarah. Now, they will take that offering today, and they will make sure that it gets to where it needs to go so that people have life. And if you'd like to do that, then just take an envelope and just write on it, Turkey. You can, you can remember that. This is Turkey Week, so you can remember the name Turkey. And just write Turkey on the envelope and everything designated. Now, don't take your tithes and give it to them. Your tithes belong in this community of faith. Because if you give it to them, then you didn't tithe. You gave an offering. And so would you prepare yourself, because we want to bless them this morning. Now, I've talked about money, and, and some of you are not smiling. Smile. It's a good thing. So, ushers, would you please come? I also want to say, and take note that if you didn't come prepared, but you can give off your mobile device, do that. So let me pray. Father, thank you for your word and how it stretches us and how it... It transforms us, and we're dealing today with some, some pretty strong heart issues. But we want our heart to be where you are. We want our riches to be where you are. So we ask that you take this offering and that you multiply it, that many more people who need life will get life, people in Kyrgyzstan and people in Istanbul, people in Erie, PA. 
We thank you for Daryl and Sarah. Oh, we pray protection on them. We pray that they will find incredible favor. And in those tough moments, they will find your joy welling up and they will see your glory in every place. And the teams that they need to help walk with them that you will send from all over the world, United States, and from Erie, Pennsylvania. So we give you thanks for your most indescribable gift. Thank you for Jesus, Father, that you gave your best for us. And so following your pattern, we do the same. It's in Jesus' name we give today. Amen. Now in this Christmas season, determine now that you will not be swept away by the commercialism, but instead worship fully, for this season is about him. Spend less, give more, and love all. God bless you. Have a great week.